Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, we speak with the Director of Training at Fieldcraft Survival and discuss how to build a modern Minuteman bag. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. Usually, this is the part of the show where I introduce the big man across the table, my co-host, Big Keith, but unfortunately, Keith will not be able to join me tonight. Uh, So for all of our regular listeners and any new listeners, uh, obviously, you know that, uh, you know, Keith is a staple and uh, I really can't do this show without him, but he had uh, some personal stuff he had to attend to. And uh, I basically said, take care of what you got to take care of, big man. If you are looking for ways to support our show, and we mention it all the time, <clears throat> you know, we talk about joining our social media, Instagram, Twitter, so on and so forth. But really, if there's one thing I could ask, it's the idea that everyone knows that content like ours, especially in the uh, gun community, is really throttled back by the tech overlords. And so really, we're trying to get this community grown and we're trying to get our message across and try to get the content that we create out to other people. So if you could recommend this to friends, whether that be on Instagram, you know, share our page and uh, get other people to follow the Instagram. If you're on Discord, recommend that to other people. But most importantly is the show, right? That's where this all started, sort of started. And so if you can recommend the podcast to other friends and podcast listener, podcast listeners in the gun community, it would really help us out a lot. And I really do think that we uh, have an important message that we can get out to other people. And then Uh, The other thing I'm going to ask is be sure to support the sponsors of the show. So they're honestly, at this point, integral in making the show possible. Uh, They allow us to do so many things because of their support, and we really do work with great companies. And so support companies that support content creators like us and support the Second Amendment. It's really important. Speaking of, today's interview is brought to us by Flatline Fiberco. Flatline makes sewn goods for the shooting community, including iFact pouches, slings, ear pro wraps, and dump pouches. I'm always impressed with the attention they pay to detail and focus on customer satisfaction. Flatline has become known for that. You simply can't go wrong with products that are made in the U.S. and have a lifetime warranty. So check out all their products at flatlinefiberco.com. To sweeten the deal, use the discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. Without further ado, today's guest is a lifelong outdoorsman who was a high school history teacher for 14 years when he decided to leave it all behind and take his love of teaching to the outdoors. Well-versed in bushcraft and survival skills, he's the former lead survival instructor for the Wilderness Learning Center and the author of the book, 101 Skills, you need to survive in the woods. He is currently the director of training at Fieldcraft Survival. Please welcome Kevin Estella to the show. Kevin, how are you doing? Fantastic, man. And hey, don't worry about uh, you know only doing this on your own. I think we can pick up the slack. We we got this for sure. Uh, and I and I should mention that you do your own podcast, which is awesome. I love having other content creators and podcasters on the show. Uh, first off, it always makes for great content because they're used to that that uh, you know business. So that's awesome. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about your podcast just for the listeners? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I run the, the Fieldcraft Survival podcast uh, for the longest time. It was kind of back and forth with a few of the guys that we used to have at the company. Um, you know, George Bell did some, Glover did some, Kevin Owens did some, Raul did some. Um, but a couple of years ago, I got tasked with being the, the host of it. And I've recorded well over 100 episodes on my own with a wide variety of guests from, you know, Fox News commentators, professional shooters, pro fighters, survival instructors. I mean, you name it. I've been having some really interesting folks on there lately, including uh, some really interesting podcasts with uh, POWs from Vietnam, from the Hanoi Hilton. I just podcasted a good buddy of mine who was revived for uh, after suffering a, a cardiac event. He was had CPR done on him for 10 minutes. Wow. He was brought back from the dead. So I podcasted his rescuer and then him. Um, and then I've, every once in a while, I'll just have my buddies on. We just go back and forth and, and you know, rib each other and it's just good fun. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been, it's been a good time. And uh, we release them every Tuesday, Spotify, oh. Apple, all the places that, that host the podcast. Awesome. So now that I'm thinking about it, you, I believe what you would actually be the third Fieldcraft survival person we've had on the show. So we've had on uh, Devin, um, a tactical cowboy, and we have had Raul on as well. So uh, I believe those guys, at, at least at one point or another, have worked with Fieldcraft. So it's it's good to have a, an, another one of you on the show. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. So how did your fascination for the outdoors and, and in particular bushcraft start? Was it from a young age or was it more of an adult? Oh, yeah, it was a young age. I mean, I've told the story before. My dad is really the the first inspiration in my my development as a outdoorsman. I mean, my dad grew up in the Philippines during World War II, and my grandfather moved the town into the jungle when the Japanese invaded. So my dad was a little boy surviving in a cave from roughly 1942 to 1945. And I grew up hearing these stories, which made me want to go hunting and fishing and camping and, and do all this stuff. And pair that with my dad's love of like good old fashioned American action movies. Like I grew up watching Commando and Rambo and you know, predator and all these movies. So, you know, my dad was really quick to, to say, Hey, let's go do some stuff in the outdoors and take me hiking and show me how to use knives. And I mean, my dad was really the, the inspiration at a very, very young age. Um, and someone who guided me along the way, you know, helping me get into, you know, canoeing and kayaking and helping me get into, uh, my hunting safety program when I was only 14 years old, you know? So I would definitely say it was my dad all, all along. Funny. So you and I are around the same age. Um, and you had mentioned about your father and, and the movies in particular really kind of struck a chord with me because I believe I've mentioned this several times on the show, but when we talk about what got us into guns, I would hunt with my father and my cousins. And I was going from a very young age. I couldn't even really hunt. I was just going to go. And <clears throat> I've often said that I grew up in an awesome era where Rambo probably if I had to like pick one one movie that kind of made guns just so cool in my eyes like just guns and you know anyone from that era remembers the back of the magazine where you could get the the uh, cheesy survival knife that had the handle that was hollow and had all kinds of little trinkets inside of it and the compass on the back and my father would take me to a sporting goods store a local one and I would go and I, at the time, I didn't even know what they were, but, you know, seeing these giant like 44 Magnums and, you know, just all that stuff as a child, it, it really kind of stuck. And when I could get into it on my own, I, I just sort of followed suit, I guess. 
So it's funny because I do think that a lot of times those early memories uh, really do stick with us, right? And now yeah. that sporting goods store that I went to, I think my son too. So it's really cool to kind of see that progression. Yeah. So two points to that. Like I grew up watching the eighties movies, just like you, the Rambo movies and whatnot. The the gun that stuck out to me when I was a little kid and preteen and teen that I wanted, like I could not wait until I turned 21 to get was a Beretta 92 FS. I knew you were going to say that. It's like, a, it's, yeah. a, it's iconic. Yeah. Yeah. Martin Riggs carried one. John yep. McClain carried one. I yep. mean, Stallone carried one on Demolition Man. Like every, every good guy carried a Beretta 92 FS. Now that was the second gun that I bought because I was told to buy a Glock 19 first. And, <laughs> of course you were. And I carried, yeah. And I carried the Glock 19 more than anything else. It was a third gen until I stupidly sold it. And then I ended up getting a, a second gen that I loved because it didn't have finger grooves. And then when Connecticut had all the stupid laws that came through that said that we weren't allowed to have more than 10 rounds in the gun when we leave the house, I was like, all right, I'll just go back to 10 round guns. And I sold it stupidly, but I, I'm back to my Glock 19 and I've got a standard 19 Gen 5 and I got a MOS uh, 19. I love them. But, you know, one of the movies that that really defined me too uh, as a kid and just something that was, uh, you know, one of the, those things was, you know, Harry and the Hendersons. If you think about it, in that movie, when they first find Harry on the road, what yep. does the dad do? He goes into the back of the vehicle. He pulls out a bull action rifle. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, like, wait, we can go camping with guns. By the way, you're definitely speaking a foreign language. There's definitely people who do, do not know that movie. <laughs> you know, there are going to be a lot of bad movie references tonight and a lot of great movie references. I happen to be a, a wealth of useless knowledge and pop culture and trivia. So you guys are going to have to look up Harry and the Hendersons. Uh and check out the rifle that the dad carried and the rifle that the the bad guy at the very end carried. But uh, yeah, like talk about an awesome era. Like back then, sporting goods stores, and I'm talking like 80s and 90s, they sold like legit made in America, awesome gear. And I remember going to Fall Mountain Sports in Bristol, Connecticut. I used to ride my bike there and I would look at Norland hatchets. And I remember I wanted a buck knife just because that was slid over the counter in the movie Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. And it just said buck knife. And I was like, I don't even know what the hell a buck knife is. I want one. You <laughs> yeah. know, if it's good enough to fight the Russians, I need one. Well, that's sort of why nowadays when we see that we have kids playing video games and they're playing, you know, these uh, games of war, so to speak, you know, in some ways, I think that that stuff is really uh, the modern version of that. And it actually is very healthy in terms of as long as you can guide our youth in a positive direction and you let them understand that these are movies and video games, I think it can be very healthy in terms of growing the community, right? As long as it's done in a healthy manner. Oh, for sure. And, you know, we've seen that in our, in our classes. Um, you know, I don't fancy myself as a, as a true gun instructor. I always say I'm a student of the, of the gun, you know, even though I, I jump on the line as a instructor in our defensive shotgun classes and every once in a while as a pistol instructor, but you know, I see people come through the classes and I'm like, Hey, where, where did you learn that technique? And, you know, it's important to, to always say like mission dictates gear and the scenario dictates tactics. And I always tell people, I'm not here to teach you tactics. I'll show you how to shoot, but I'm not going to tell you when, but I always ask people, I'm like, Hey, why did you just do what you did? And many times they'll say, well, I, I did that in call of duty, or I did that, you know, cause <laughs> I saw people in a movie do it. And it's like, look, at least you're being honest where you said you learned how to do it, but do you understand why you're doing it? Which that's, that's the important part. It's like, don't just do things because it's become, you know, range theatrics or what you're right. expected to do, but have an understanding of the why behind the motion. Sure. 
Well, that's like the, there was the old motion of, you know, you draw, you shoot, and then you scan, right? And there's Mm -hmm. this like really staged sort of scanning behind you from left to right. And I've been seeing some stuff. There's someone I follow, uh, another content creator, and he talking about the idea of like, it's one thing to scan if it's situationally needed, but to just do this theatrical scanning is so overplayed and outdated at this point. And you shouldn't really be doing that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. and actually, you actually could probably build in bad muscle memory that you don't actually want there. Yeah. And it's interesting because we tell people that you should be looking for something instead of looking at everything. Right. Because when you're looking at everything, you see nothing. Right. Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, so we always tell people like, okay, what are you looking for? You know, cause we'll see that quick, you know, look over the left, look over the right. And it's like, did you see anything at all? And then we'll see some people who have a very deliberate one, you know, and that's part of their, their muscle memory or, or part of their training. And, and it's cool, you know, when they can explain, I'm just being very deliberate. I'm running through my, my rep here and this is how I do it. It's like, all right, man, you do you, I'm not going to tell you to, to not do that. That's what you feel comfortable doing. Right. Um, so yeah. st- sticking with this theme of movies, if you had to pick one movie that really solidified your love for bushcraft and wilderness survival, what movie would that be? Oh, damn. You had to do that. It's either Camp Whitewater Summer um, or it's The Edge. I love The Edge with Anthony Hopkins. And some of my, my good buddies know that we can quote that movie you know, <laughs> inside and out. Uh, nice. There are so many good movies. Crocodile Dundee, another awesome movie You know where – you just want to be Mick Dundee. You yeah. want to take the beautiful blonde into the backcountry and and be the stud and shave with a knife. You know, I remember trying to shave when I was like 13 years old and I had peach fuzz and it was <laughs> like it didn't work. But uh, you know, I was doing it with like a Gerber BMF back in the day. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. There, that's a tough one. There are so many movies, so many TV shows. Like I feel like Red like Dawn's a solid one. I feel like Red Dawn is oh. definitely the epitome of like needing to kind of like, you know, defend your, defend your nation. And we'll maybe come back, circle back to that a little later in the show. Yeah. But I, I think that's like a classic as well. So personally, like I'm always, I would view myself as very much into self-improvement. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, as much content as I create, I consume. And there's definitely some people that I, like to listen to. Um, sometimes I need to get myself amped up for something. A little like Jocko Willink is always good for that. Uh, David Goggins, obviously, uh, as well. Uh, so for me personally, that includes a lot of things. It, it's martial arts. Um, I believe you and I are both uh, BJJ practitioners, which the running yes. joke on the show is uh, that I have to mention that once a, once an episode, according <laughs> to Keith. But uh, yeah, so we both do that. And I'm also uh, trying to get more and more into physical fitness and obviously firearms training, hunting. And overall, one of the most important things for me is to try and be a better family man as well. So I'd love to know more about bushcraft and wilderness survival. And that stuff does, it absolutely interests me. I feel like it's probably the one thing other than the sort of normal stuff you learn from like scouts or just like your dad shows you, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say that I know a whole lot about that. Um, maybe some stuff I've read here and there as well, but my time is so limited, right? So how Mm -hmm. do you recommend people fit this type of skill development into their already super busy lives? Because, you know, to just all of a sudden be like, yeah, I'm going to go and train out in the woods. It's like, if you're trying to do all these other things to kind of make yourself well-rounded, it could be a little challenging, I think. Oh, for certain. And I'll say that it feels like you're jumping into the deep end of the pool when you first look at everything that's out there, because it's like, well, I got to learn fire by friction. I got to learn primitive cordage. I got to learn how to carve with my knife and build shelters and, 
and catch animals. Like it can be extremely overwhelming if you don't take it piece by piece and you don't create a realistic training plan. Cause there's gotta be honesty in your, in your training. You got to say to yourself, what am I actually capable of doing right now? Whether you're 30 years old or 15 or however old it's like, what are you capable of doing? What are you able to afford? How much time can you actually allot? And when people say, I don't have time, it's like, you can find the time in your day. If you're spending, look at your FaceTime on your phone. If you're spending three hours a day on your phone, guess what? You definitely could have spent an hour training. And that could be as simple as, you know, if you have uh, a 30 minute train ride, read a book on that train to work. If you are stuck in traffic, in your glove compartment, keep a book of knots and a couple lengths of cord and learn a couple knots while you're, while you're there or go on animatednots.com or, or one of the, the great apps that are out there, you know, Fieldcraft just created an app, but I put a whole bunch of content on there for people to watch. Um, there's always time in the day. You just have to figure out what do you value more? You know, some people, they really love cooking. They love going home and preparing a good meal, maybe meal prep because they're into physical fitness, but maybe that takes up so much of their, of their day. Well, maybe instead of doing as extensive a meal prep, you do something a little bit easier. You're always going to be balancing. You're always going to be, um, Robin from Peter to pay Paul. Sure. And there's going to be places where you're going to, um, you're going to have to sacrifice. Now, what I will say is do not sacrifice what really matters in this life to learn these skills that may start off as a hobby, but could eventually become a, a lifestyle. And what I mean by that is don't sacrifice your health. You know, don't try to, don't try to stay up an extra three hours at night and only get three hours of sleep and find out that, you know, your, you know, your, your hormones are all off and you're screwed up because you're trying to learn how to build a, a Quincy, like a snow shelter, right. or you learn how to, you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't try to get more time out of the day. The other thing is don't sacrifice your relationships. Like if anything, bring your family into what you're learning and use your skills that you're learning as a mechanism to have an awesome time with your family that you can laugh about. If it sucks, guess what? You have something funny that you can talk about. If you did something amazing in front of your kids, you're going to be Superman to them until they realize how you did it. Right. You know what I mean? So I think it's important that whatever you're doing when it comes to building out your plan to become a more capable individual, you do not sacrifice the the values that matter. And those are family, health, um, you know, don't sacrifice your relationships, don't sacrifice uh, more money than you, you need to, you know, because you might need to put that money elsewhere in case of a, a rainy day. So it, there is no easy answer to that one, but I'll simply say baby steps, right? Eddie Murray, not, uh, yeah, uh, it's another, another cheesy movie reference right there. What about Bob? Yeah. Murray? Yep. Steps. So <clears throat> I, I just want to kind of piggyback on that a minute. So this is something that I am just starting to learn. And so mm-hmm. I, I'll give it a quick example. So this year I did not get uh, really any hunting in. Um, there's a long story behind it. Doesn't need to be told, uh, or told again, if I've already told it, but I just, I just didn't get out there. And in the past, it was like, well, I want to train jujitsu and weekends is when that's going to happen. But that's also when I'm going to go hunting. And I also need to do some editing for the podcast. And what I've learned recently, and this is this is challenging. I think when you're younger, this doesn't apply as much. And this is really for the listener, because I want them to understand that when we talk about self-improvement and trying to like hone your skill sets, that, as you said very eloquently, you need to really strike a balance. And so like I said to my wife, uh, I said, next year, I said, I'm just going to cave. And I'm going to say in the fall when hunt, when bow season starts, cause truly I love bow, I love bow hunting much more than rifle hunting. 
I'm mm-hmm. going to put jujitsu sort of on the shelf. Like maybe I'll do one one day a week, you know, maybe a Monday, but I'm going to devote my time for the for the fall to hunting. And then like once I get my once I, you know, fill my tag and once I have meat in the freezer, then I can say, all right, now it's time to put that on the shelf and I'm going to devote more time to jujitsu. And I think what I've always struggled with, and I think a lot of listeners out there are probably thinking, and maybe you have as well in the past, is you think like, oh, but like how much am I going to lose in jujitsu? How much am I going to diminish? But yeah, you will, right, to an extent, but you have a whole lifetime to get better at that. You have a whole lifetime to do these things, right? So, you know, if you're in your 40s, you possibly have another 50 years to to keep working on all these different things. And so, you know, I think that's the balance that you're kind of looking for and what you're describing. Absolutely. I mean, I grew up in Connecticut and I grew up not too far from one of the greatest rivers. That's like a trophy trout river. And I, I'm a fisherman through and through. Like I love hunting. I was hunting this morning and, you know, I was hunting last week and I put in a lot of time this fall. Um, but I'll tell you that I fish more than I hunt. And whenever I was hunting and I saw people passing me in canoes and kayaks, I was like, damn it, I should be canoeing and kayaking right now. <laughs> and then anytime I'd get into my whitewater boat, I'd be like, damn it, I wish I packed a fly rod or I wish I packed a spinning rod, you know? Right. There, there's always those times where you're going to be like, you know, I wish I did it. I wish I did this or I wish I did that. But what you have to focus on is what's right in front of you. Yep. And that is so, it's so easy to, to be like, hey, the grass is always greener on the other side. But hey, think about this. What if that guy is saying to himself, man, I wish I was fishing or I wish I was boating when he's doing the opposite. Like it's so easy to to compare yourself to someone else doing something that you'd want to be doing. But what are you doing that someone would kill right. to be in your shoes doing? Right. So it's like, yeah, dedicate your time to hunting and jujitsu will suffer. Guess what? There are guys that are like, damn it. I wish I could go hunting right now. Yep. And maybe they can't. So yep. it's like, just focus on what's in front of you. Like, yep. you know, if you're, if you're rappelling or if you're climbing, you don't think about the move 30 feet up. You're thinking about what's right in front of you. You're thinking about the, the belay device in your hand or the repelling device. It's like, if you don't focus on what's in front of you, you fall. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's the same thing with all the, the skills that we want to do or the activities that we want to get into. It's like, just be happy with what you got. I have a, a good friend by the name of Rob does jujitsu with me, one of my training partners, and he does his own uh, podcast more of a, as a hobby and some other stuff. He just took up hunting as well. And I was, we were going to a Christmas party together and I was saying to him, you know, sometimes I look at my life and I go, man, like I do all these things and I like listed, you know, I, I podcast, I get to talk to most, some of the most interesting people in the world. I get to, to do jujitsu and I get to like learn how to keep my ego in check and, and what it's like to fail constantly. And I get to get to hunt and I get to feel what it's like to be like, I mean, like an absolute savage out in the woods and, 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 you know, and claim my own meat. I do all these things, right? And I rattle off a bunch of other hobbies that I have. I said, I feel so lucky that I have so many interests because I know people who like, they're just like, yeah, I really don't have any hobbies. And I'm like, man, that must be like so sad, you know? And I said, all these awesome hobbies have introduced me to other people that do those hobbies. And now I have these amazing friends that I share these things with. So I'm just like, it's a very, when you find all of these things, Uh, you know, people in the gun community have been awesome to me. And so you find these great people through these great hobbies and it's a really, it is very much a blessing. And then on top of that, like eventually who's saying that you can't combine them? Like this past summer, I went to Leadville, Colorado with two buddies. We did a backpack 
fishing trip where we hiked up to just shy of 11,000 feet. And I've never caught more trout in my entire life in two and a half days than I did on this trip. We estimated with the three guys that we probably caught about 80 to 90 fish between the three of us. We're like, how many did you catch that day? This, 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 like who's saying that you can't go backpacking and fishing. You don't have to do one or the other exclusively. Like once you get to a certain level, combine your passions and make these absolutely epic custom weekend adventures or week long adventures or whatever your time allows and and make it your own, you know, because it's one thing to do it for the gram. It's one thing to do it, you know, for, to make your parents happy or your friends happy or whatever. But it's another thing to like make it your own where you can say no one is doing what we just did here. Like, this is awesome. It's true. So obviously I asked you on the gun experiment. So in your Mm. opinion, where do guns fit into people's preparedness plans? Okay. So I'll say this. Um, I don't like using the word gunfight. I don't like using the word knife fight or grappling. Everything is just fighting. And I know you've had uh, David Costa on. David Costa is a good friend. He and I go way back to Connecticut days. Yep. Um, And Dave and I are from the same lineage. We're both SIOC practitioners, uh, you know, SIOC tribe guys. And so so for those that don't know SIOC, that's uh, Filipino knife fighting, correct? Correct. Yeah. Filipino martial arts. Uh, And it's a tribal based system. and, And we say, look, it's integrated, meaning at any time you could draw a blade at any time you could draw a pistol at any time there could be multiple uh, combatants involved as opposed to just one-on-one. So, you know, we don't like just limiting ourselves to, to one particular genre. We just say we're a complete system because we do have a ground game. We have a stick game, flexible weapons, projectiles and everything. So that being said, pistols are fantastic for preparedness and they're very convenient, but they're terrible at, you know, if you had to truly defend yourself, because they are going to poke holes, they're not going to create, uh, you know, the more devastating wound cavities of, say, a higher caliber rifle or a shotgun, right? Sure. But we also can't carry rifles and shotguns as easily daily concealed as we can a pistol. So they are a great equalizer. And that's something my dad would tell me way back in the day. My dad, you know, very mild mannered physician, uh, you know, from the Philippines and I used to say to him, I'm like, dad, you know, you don't want to carry a gun. My dad's like, no, 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 I carried a gun when I was younger. He goes, I'm, you know, I don't necessarily need it. And that's where he and I disagreed when we were younger, but he always, you know, got me, you know, what I wanted. We had guns in the house and they were mine, but my dad would say things like, you know, the scariest thing on a crowded bus if someone tries to steal your wallet is you take your tiny Swiss army knife blade and you put it to their neck. And I'm like, dad, whoa, <laughs> you know, I never thought my dad would say something so, so, uh, so wild. Right. But my dad believed in protection and that's something that we need to take into account. Like when we think survival, everyone thinks rule of threes, right? Three minutes without air, three hours exposed to the elements, three days without water, three weeks without food, but right. you have to take care of protection first. And I think Everyone, regardless of your your background, um, I think in terms of like protecting yourself, a handgun is a great, great solution. It's an equalizer. You could be five foot three, like my girlfriend, and she can poke holes in paper like it's no one's business. And it's actually super impressive. So, you know, I feel much better knowing that she has, you know, my uh, one of my pistols at her place. And, you know, I think that levels the playing field, you know, levels the fighting field. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an integral part of preparedness because we always have to be uh, ready when it comes to being secure in ourselves and our property and our, you know, our, uh, 
our way of life. So hypothetical situation, mm-hmm. crystal ball, uh, a magic wand, the world mm-hmm. is a different type of world and you're allowed to choose one firearm, one firearm platform, and that's all you're ever, ever going to get. What do you choose? I'd probably go, uh, God, that's a tricky one. I'd probably <laughs> go a, a larger like AR 10 platform, okay. um, because I can hunt with it and I can load it light. You know, I, I've, yeah. I'm a gunsight disciple. I've been to gunsight twice okay. uh, for shooting courses and one of the gunsight alumni shoots and, you know, I've taken the scout rifle class there and I'm a believer in the 308 mm-hmm. um, because you can shoot the accelerator rounds super, super fast, use them for varmint and you can load it heavy with 180 or 200 grain burgers and you could shoot long range and, you know, put down some big game. So I have um, to say not, not the answer I thought you were going to, we're going to say, um, what, are you gonna, what do you think? Shotgun? I, I, I would say if I, if you said this, you're only getting one, that's all you're ever going to get. I, I would probably say shotgun, which was making me cringe because Keith loves shotgun and he loves shooting trap and I hate shooting trap. Um, <laughs> but when you think about it, it's perfect for home defense. It's perfect for, you can hunt birds. You can bunt, you can hunt small game. You can hunt deer with slugs. I mean, you really can use it for a lot of things. Probably the one thing, well, the two things it doesn't excel at, one, it would be long, anything long range. And two yeah. would be, obviously, you can't, you know, walk around with one, uh, you know, concealed. Um, and so that for that reason, a pistol might be my second choice only because, you know, it fills a different type of role in terms of our society. But I think if you told me I could only have one thing, I probably would say shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I love a good shotgun. I've been teaching the shotgun curriculum with Jerry Young now mm-hmm. for two or three years. And, you know, I've gotten really uh, turned on my by my Beretta 1301 tactical, which uh, I'll tell you, that is the gun right now. Um, we've been keeping metrics on all of the students. Um, we have uh, performance drills that we do in all of our courses, and we've been tracking what students are shooting and how well they're shooting and whatnot. And I'll tell you the 1301 the the people that are showing up with that can run it faster than just about anything that's out there. And there is no fire. There's no shotgun that's cycling faster than a 1301 hate to say, even though Beretta and Benelli are the same company. um, The Beretta is edging out the, you know, the M4s, the M2s, you know, it's such an impressive shotgun. Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely. So you wrote the book, 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods, which by the way, I looked for, like, is it not no longer in print? I couldn't find it anywhere to buy. Oh, dude, it's right on, it's right on Amazon. Oh. Um, yeah, it's, it's on Amazon. It's a bestseller on Amazon. It's, uh, I saw a Kindle, but I didn't see the actual, well, anyway, I, that's good to know that it's still in print. Um, very, very, uh, sounds very, very cool. Uh, we definitely don't have time to discuss all 101 skills, but yeah. if I was going to start today, what are the, let's say the top five skills you would tell me to start with? I would tell you to learn how to use a knife really well. Um, we do that in all of our modern survival skills courses where you're learning how to, you know, use a knife for carving and not just let's carve a stick into a pointy vampire slaying, you know, spear, but you're actually learning how to carve trap triggers and you're learning how to process firewood and split wood and, and get to the dry wood when it's super wet outside. So learn how to use a knife, learn how to use various fire starters and always start from strength and work your way back. So ferro rod and Bic lighter, boom, hands down. Those are, that's the way you should roll every single day, carry both of those. And then from there, that's when you can go into matches. You can go into uh, all alternative ways of fire starting cordage skills are way up there as well. 
Um, if you know how to tie knots, then you'll be able to save uh, your cordage and you'll be able to use it for exactly what you need it for and you won't waste it. Shelter skills are, are incredibly important, uh, as is you know finding water and then being able to collect it, treat it, and carry it. So, I mean, if you just know those basics, right, know how to use a knife, fire starter, um, know how to build shelter, tie some knots and gather water. You can survive most nights in the great outdoors. If you ever got stuck for like an emergency night out hunting or whatever. Um, but from there you can always build on it, right? You can get into, you know, how you can make, uh, primitive lamps and how you can, uh, signal for help. And like, you can slowly build on it. Um, but those would be my five. Do you remember the show dual survival? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really went down the rabbit hole deep on that show. I really, I really liked the premise of that show. It was very entertaining. Uh, and I, I have a question for you. I've long wondered the proper way to pronounce this, but when you split wood by striking the back of your blade with a, let's say a log, is that called batoning? Yes, it is. It yeah, is it's, called it's like a, yeah. Cause uh, you'll hear the Brits say batten. Yes. Right? I, I've heard it battening and I've heard it batoning and I'm, I've always wondered which way is proper. Yeah. It's, it's like, a, it's like a police baton. Yes. Um, you're, you're creating artificial weight uh, to the back of the knife, but you know, keep in mind the British will, the Brits will say vitamins and aluminum and they also call flashlights torches. Right. So the last time and that cigarettes I are was, fags. So they're, they're really, they're really uh, confused yeah, over there. Yeah. And keep in mind, right. The last time that we ever uh, had to really adhere to the Brits, uh, we threw tea in the Harbor yeah. and we tarred and feathered a whole bunch of them. Yeah. So, that's why I only drink uh, coffee. You know, we don't listen to what the Brits say. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So there's an argument that can be made that urban survival may be just as important, if not more important than wilderness survival. And I really feel like the pandemic and other recent episodes of uh, civil unrest, which I don't really want to get into, but uh, a lot of that stuff was a really small window into what humans are capable of and not always in a good way. So what are some areas people should maybe be shoring up for future societal issues in your opinion? I'm going to say this right now, power supply. Um, power supply is so important because last year, um, a little over a year ago now, um, we had it a couple idiots were thinking it's a couple, they still haven't found the guys, but they shot up some of the power stations here in Moore County, North Carolina. And within hours um, of the power going out, Walmart was being looted, right? Within hours. And there's no doubt about it. People forget how to drive. Um, you have people, they lose their mind when the power is out. Now I lost power for maybe three days and I felt like it was just camping indoors. And I was good because I have all my my kit with me. But there were people that were like, oh, my God, the temperature, it's dropping. My house is getting so cold. And it's like, why don't you just put on more clothes? You know, like you, you're surrounded by all your clothes. Why don't you just make one room in your house the room that you're going to stay in and don't worry about heating the rest? Like people lose their minds. So I would say power supply is so important. But what I would also say is now, when you say that, you supply, mean like generators, is that what you're talking well, if you have a generator, that's great, but it also is a signal for people that you have power and they don't. Sure. And generators get stolen. People so, will take a lawnmower and they'll turn on a lawnmower, pull it up to a generator, cut the generator, keep the lawnmower running and walk off with the generator. But so what you are know, you, when like, you say power supply, what are you referring to? Are you talking about? Okay, so, so if you think about it, we got power back, like the, the extent of the power was back within five days. Now, all you have to do in five days is just keep people informed. Um, so I'm talking about charging your phones. I'm 
you know, pay attention to when you're getting notifications. And you could do that with battery packs and with solar panels and whatnot. Now, mm-hmm. even in the middle of winter, I was able to charge my battery packs with a solar panel outside. And I was like, oh, that works. And there are battery packs that you should have in your car, like a no-co jump starter. Mm-hmm. And that no-co can also charge your phone. So if you can keep certain power going, um, you know, if you have your lanterns already charged up, and you're only using them for darkness and not for all the time, then you're going to be just fine. And if you can have uh, extra battery packs kicking around, you're going to be okay. Now, if you have a generator and other people in your neighborhood are, are good with you having generator, they have generators and you've created like a, like a neighborhood. I don't like using the term neighborhood watch, but like a neighborhood program. But a community, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you know, your neighbor, they know you and you have a common interest. We're going to protect the neighborhood, protect the village. Um, then you can run a generator. But if you live in the outskirts and you've got a generator and you know you are vulnerable, just understand that people are listening for generators and they're right. looking for people who have power because at the end of the day, there are going to be the haves and the have-nots. What are your and thoughts on those solar power generators, the ones that are like electric and you charge them with the solar panels and then they are they're super quiet? Have you have you seen those? I, I haven't I haven't played with any of those. I'm not even aware of them. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know that if they're good, but they're very expensive, and I don't know the validity of them. I don't know if they're actually really good, um, but I, I'd like to experiment with them a little bit more. Yeah, I'll say that a Honda generator is pretty impressive. I mean, they're relatively inexpensive, and after a natural disaster, when people buy them, they usually go uh, up on like the secondary market for next to nothing. People just want to get rid of them. Yeah, and it's so it cracks me up. It's like when you see people slow down in an accident and they're like, Oh my God, we should slow down. And then five miles on the road, they're back up to a hundred miles per hour. You know, yeah. like if you need a generator, get your generator, but don't get rid of it. Once you have it, like that's a great tool for when the power does go out. It's funny because we had a, an issue, um, not too long ago, nothing crazy, a little power outage, whatever. And my, we were here with my two small children, my, my wife and my mother-in-law was here at the time. And I came home and they were like, oh, the power went out. And I was like, okay. And like, first thing I did, I had like a thousand lumen flashlight and I I, I lit it up, put it in the middle of, uh, of the kitchen, splashing up off the white ceiling. And they're like, oh my God, it's like the whole room is lit. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's, that's what happens when you do that. And they're like, oh. Yeah. And I, you know, went about kind of milling about doing certain things. And when it was all said and done, my mother-in-law said something like, uh, to my wife, like your husband's really good in a, in a bad situation. He kind of just like methodically goes about doing things and doesn't really like think too much about the problem. He's more like focused on solutions. And you said something that made me think of this, which is, uh, when people say like, you know, like, Oh, what about the cold or what about this? I exactly what you said. I think of it like, this is like an adventure. Like I'm going to make this like a, like a cool like adventure and put all the the preps that I've come, you know, come to store and all the things that I have and all the things I've read, you know, like putting a headlamp, um, into a gallon water bottle to make it into a lantern, mm-hmm. right? Like that's one, one quick example, stuff like that is like, you've read about it and maybe you've tried it, but like now you get to actually put it to the test. And so I look at those opportunities as like, all right, like I've been reading books and, and studying and listening to podcasts. And like, now I get to actually play around and do it. Right. And it, Mentally, that's a very, very, in my opinion, a very good way to keep your mind sharp in terms of don't worry about the problem, worry about let's put all these solutions that I've gathered into play. And it makes it almost like a game and it makes it much more bearable to do to do those things. 
you know, when you asked me that question, if I started off by saying mindset, there'd be a whole bunch of listeners that would be like, oh, he's going to go talk about the Jedi mind trick or something <laughs> like that. Like, like I always hear that when I say, let's bring up mindset, but really what we have control over, no matter what is thrown in our face is how we handle it. Right. And then you have people that are total spazzes, right? Like anything minor hits them and they, they shut down. But you also have people that say, you know what, I'm going to take that pressure as a challenge. I got this right. And they're, they're in total control. And that I think is something that is lacking. That's a resource that's lacking is how having critical minds in an emergency. So even though I said power source, and even though, you know, I can elaborate on that and say, you should have additional water, you should have sanitation, you should have food supply, you should have warmth, right? All the basics really, I mean, I would love it if people viewed it the way that you did, uh, if they viewed it as, look, this is nothing. These things happen. We got this, you know, as opposed to freaking out, getting in their car, getting into an accident because the red light is out and they just got T-boned or going to the Walmart and finding out that there's a guy that's, you know, running out with a plasma screen TV because we all know we need one of those in a blackout. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now that guy is stealing her purse or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's so important to, to keep that level head and to know how to think, not what to think. I will admit that when the pandemic hit, I was not nearly as prepared as I should have been. Uh, that really kind of set me down a path of like, this this situation will get better um, and I will improve my situation from here on out. And I, I know, I, I talk to a lot of my listeners, a lot of them reach out to me and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I try to be very good about like, you know, being in constant contact with anybody that wants to be in contact. And so I know I have some like really, really awesome listeners who are like some, some badasses. like they're, they're getting after it and they're really trying to, you know, improve themselves. And so, uh, I know that people who listen to the show, I, I know that they're, they're good folks. And the one thing I will say is when you are more prepared and something happens, you don't need to go jump in your car and go run out to the store to get food. Cause you're like, it's cool to see everyone else acting like the unprepared freaks that don't know what to do. And you're just sitting in your living room, watching cars fly by where you're like, we're good. We're good here. You know, and you don't have to do anything. And there's a real sense of like, man, it really, all that hard work paid off. And that's when you get to see, reap the benefits and, and see the rewards of all the hard work that you've done. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, you know, think about this one. Like we're, we're talking about firearms. We're talking about gun experiment. We're talking about, you know, second amendment and all things gun related. Well, think of it this way. When there's an emergency that happens and you have to run to the store to get emergency supplies, as opposed to having them already in your house, that's the equivalent of carrying a pistol without a round chambered. Yeah. You're, you're expecting that you're going to have time to chamber around when, you know, the fit has hit the shan. And, mm. you know, instead, why don't you just have these things ahead of time and be ready? But again, people have a narrative in their mind of how they think things are going to play out. But there's time and time again, examples that that narrative is built upon false premises. So it's like, just listen to the people that have seen it. Listen to the people who are, are, you know, working in that field that are giving advice. They're not trying to make it gloom and doom. Just saying, look, wouldn't you rather spend time with your family in that emergency and, you know, make sure that they're okay as opposed to leave them, 
You know, like, right. like if they're, if they're just trying to drive you to action through fear, then they're, they're no better than anyone else. But if they're telling you like, look, you can be strong, you can grow as a family, you can have this amazing plan and secure your livelihood. Guess what? That's not fear-based. That's power driven. Well, to tie and, this all into, into the gun stuff for, mm. for the listeners who were like here for the gun stuff, one of the, in my opinion, one of the main reasons why being a gun owner and being proficient with a firearm is so important is because if the government had their way, and this is not like a tinfoil hat wearing kind of a moment, but if the government had their way, they would provide you with everything and then you would need them for everything. And then you basically would have no independence whatsoever. And as Americans, I do firmly believe that it is sewn into the fabric of our DNA to be independent. We literally fought a war over it. Yeah, man. And I'll tell you, there's, there's always that balance. Like, you know, would I love to do everything, everything on my own? No. Like I know that the government does a pretty good job of making my number one and my number two go away when I flush that toilet, (laughs) how it goes away. I don't know. Yeah. You know, but, uh, there are things that I just don't want the government having their hands on, right? right? Like we saw this during COVID, you know, and telling people that they couldn't visit loved ones. Now, here's my personal gripe with the government from COVID. During COVID, I was in Connecticut and my late mentor, Marty, from the Wilderness Learning Center was dying of cancer. And I wasn't able to go and see him because all my friends that were cops were like, hey, Kev, if you drive up to the U.S.-Canada border with Connecticut plates during a pandemic, they're like, you're probably going to get arrested, turned around and whatnot. And I was like, so this pandemic, I'm not allowed to see someone who's already dying. And they're like, that's the the sad reality of it. And it's like, it didn't matter if I caught COVID from him or he caught COVID from me, he was dying anyway. So when the government tells you, hey, we got this, it's like, maybe you might want (laughs) to look again, you know, and see if they really did. And, And that's the thing, right? So you actually bring up a good point. The government does serve some really important roles, right? There's there's some really important functions. And like, we do need police officers. We need firemen. We need, like, all those roles that the government yeah. provides are important. You just don't want to be completely dependent on them. That's the Correct. big that's the big takeaway here. And so, because you, you, you're right. Like, I was actually thinking when you were talking, and I'm like, we live in a time where we have an abundance of everything that we could possibly want, right? So, like, if you want to go to the grocery store and you're in the mood for whatever Funyuns, you can go get yourself some Funyuns. Like we live in a time where food is so plentiful and we're so lucky to live in a country where, where that's the case. Uh, but when shit hit the fan, that wasn't the case. And you don't want to depend on the government in those moments, right? You want to know that in good times, it's great and you can, you can thrive, but in the bad times you can survive. And I think that's the important part. Yeah. And we also have to look at who are the people in charge at the government driving some of these policies. Like right. the, the, my biggest thing that cracks me up is the, you know, pistol brace rule for ARs, right? What is the functional difference between a pistol brace and an SBR? What's the functional difference between an AR without evil features, quote unquote, and, you know, standard features? Like there, why, why is one considered a taxable item and the other one is not. It's like, there, there's so much that drives me crazy because the people who are put in charge have no business being in charge. They're political appointees or they're people who have done a really good job of kissing ass. And now they're, they're getting the back end, you know, no pun intended. Right. Um, they're, they're getting it right back and they're 
screwing with everyone else's livelihoods and their their freedom. So so that's something that that drives me nuts. Um, but I think we're we're onto something here where it's like find that good balance, but as much as possible, try to pull away from the government teat and do things on your own. Take care of your family and you know build a community where maybe you can't do it all, but your next door neighbor will help. And sure. in turn, you help out your neighbor. And guess what? We get back to local politics instead of the centralized politics that doesn't serve anyone really well. That's a great point. So I do want to get you to run and gun, but before we do that, where can people find you? So I'm doing a lot on Twitter these days. Uh, Instagram has throttled the hell out of me. Um, Twitter is E-S-T-E-L-A-W-I-L-D-E-D. That's Estella Wild Ed. Um, that's my old company. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm on the Fieldcraft Survival YouTube account. I'm on the new app that we put out there. So I, I'm all over. And you guys can always email me if you want. You'll get the best response there. Uh, Estella, E-S-T-E-L-A, at fieldcraftsurvival.com. Awesome. All right, so we're going to do run and gun. It's 10 questions, rapid fire. Normally, Keith would time it. I'm going to try and do two jobs at once. So uh, are you yeah. ready to do that? Let's do it. All right, here we go. What is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Shit. Um, damn it. Uh, Wilson Combat CQB 1911. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Um, SR25. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Ernest Hemingway. Favorite caliber? 300 Win Mac. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Uh, Fishing. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, I would like, oh, damn it. That's a tough one. Uh, crap. Let's just say uh, ability to fly. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Yes. Is it better to be loved or feared? <laughs> yes. No, uh, loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your buck back other than your spouse? Jerry Young. Let's mix it up. Uh, just a hair under 60 seconds. Damn, dude. That that superpower one got me. Because like, <laughs> you heard that as a little kid, but now as an adult, it's like, do you want to be invisible? No, because then you just be a creeper. You want like... <laughs> Do you want invincibility? It's like, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to live forever. And then it's like, I don't know. That was a tough one. So if Keith was here, he would tell you where you where your standing is, but I don't have that list. So uh, I'll have to get back to you on it. But I, I did record it and he will add it to the, uh, to the archives for sure. All right. Sounds good, man. <laughs> All right, so Let's Mix It Up is brought to us by 4Patriots.com. While we may live in a country known for its excess, the pandemic put a giant spotlight on how fragile our food chain can be when put to the test. This is why we really need to make sure we're prepared for long-term food shortages. Keith and I found that 4Patriots is a great way to supplement your food stores with inexpensive and tasty food that can last up to 25 years. The folks at 4Patriots want you to have the chance to get the best deals possible, so they've set up a special page just for our listeners at 4Patriots.com forward slash gun experiment 10. They can get weekly discounts and deals, but act quickly because the deals will change each week. Remember, head to 4Patriots.com forward slash gun experiment 10 each week and grab those deals. So... On this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we are going to discuss how to build the perfect modern Minuteman bag. So 
a uh, little back backstory here. I had texted you last night and I was like, Hey, I want to do this segment. And I've been sort of looking into, well, a few different things here. There's go bags, there's get home bags, there's bug out bags, there's EDC bags. You know, there's all these different kinds of things you can kind of prep, prepare yourself with in terms of uh, bags. And for the longest time, it was like bug out bags. And I have a family, a family of four. It's like the idea of like my little five-year-old, like having her own little bug out bag. I'm like, I, that seems like uh, it would have to be a pretty bad situation for that to happen. And bugging in seems pretty appealing. So I've kind of moved on from that. Not to say that I'm not saying that you shouldn't have one or it's not a, it's, it's a good idea. I'm just saying it's kind of, I've moved on from that. And I've lately been looking into get home bags, but you had mentioned when I texted you the modern Minuteman bag. And at first I was like, I, I'm not sure what that even is. And when I started looking into it, I was like, this is pretty cool. So do you want to give a quick kind of description? First off, why don't you give a description of why it's called a Minuteman bag and then kind of a description of what it is. And then we'll talk about how to build one out. All right. So American Revolution, you had the Minutemen and the Minutemen were average guys but they had to be ready at a minute's notice and they had to know how to shoot, move, communicate, support. Um, the Minutemen were crucial to winning our independence, but they were also everyday guys that were responsible for taking care of their neighborhoods. So I wrote an article years ago called The Modern Minuteman. And my good friend, Bill Rapier, he runs a course called The Modern Minuteman and then Advanced Modern Minuteman, which I've been a, a guest instructor for. And I really think that's where your training needs to be and your focus needs to be because that is the pack that you would grab if one of your friends said, I need you. And now imagine the roads are closed and you have to rock there. So this is going to hopefully be used as like a vehicle for you to understand, well, what boots do I keep near my bag? And what bag do I carry? And what do I have in that bag? And how do I carry that bag? And what do I access? And, and how much comfort do I really need to sustain myself to live in the field, that's really what that Minuteman bag is all about. So it could be used to get home or it could be used to bug out. But at the end of the day, that Minuteman bag is there for you to grab at a minute's notice and have a level of capability that most people around you will not. So again, this could be sort of just nomenclature kind of, uh, you know, the interwebs kind of stuff. But I do see the term go bag a lot. And in, in my mm -hmm. research on this, they seem very similar. It seems like a very similar concept. Yeah. And there, listen, there are so many people out there that say like, oh, my go bag is going to be, you know, an Alice pack. And I've got my AR-15 there and I've got my chest rig with 14 mags on it. And it's like, it's like, dude, you are carrying a lot of ammo. And mm -hmm. if you carry it that way, where you're carrying it overtly and not broken down inside your kit and traveling discreetly, then someone's going to steal it. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the whole idea, the whole idea is that you could travel with this bag and look like a tourist, right. But you have a broken down AR 15 inside of it, right. Maybe a pistol brace, 11 and a half inch barrel. Right. Um, but you have the capability with this pistol braced AR 15 to shoot out to 300 yards, right. Minimum. Um, and then if you have an LPVO on it, you can maybe push out to five or six with 77 grain ammo. So let me, let me put a pin in this for one second. There's a segment of our country that wants to label people who want to be prepared and have certain skill sets as paranoid, as crazy, as, you know, real, you know, kind of like wing nuts. And as people, I know the people who are listening to this show, you do not need to apologize for that. 
mm-hmm. right? You're not you're not taking from anyone. All you're doing is being a contributor, and you should be proud of that. And so, bef- before we get into building out a kit, I want to just say that because you're going to talk about things that possibly could go in this kit, and I don't want people to th- say. Oh, but you know, that seems extreme or that seems, no, if you think that there's a need and you think that you're capable of handling this stuff, you go right ahead and do that. Yeah. And I'll say this, uh, there's only so much real estate that we have on our bodies and in this backpack right now, we can always expand our backpack by putting items in our vehicle. We can always expand our our backpack by building out our house or having cash, uh, caches, um, you know, tucked in the woods, wherever we are on our bug out route or our you know, get home route, whatever it may be. So what I'm saying is, is that, you know, with whatever we carry, we have to understand, like, if we carry one extra of anything, does it really give an extra value or is it just taking up space? So yeah, I go after the guys that are like, I carry all this ammo. And it's like, okay, do you have any provisions for spending the night outdoors? Right. Right. You're you're carrying all, you're carrying all this extra gear. Do you have a basic first aid kit on you? Because we all have the cool IFACs. But do you have the basic first aid kit? Because some of the most common injuries around camp are to the palms of the fing- to the palms of the, the hand and the fingers. So do you have burn gel? Like there's all these things where it's like, man, well, do I carry all that? Because at some point you've got to balance what is possible and probable. And there's so many people out there that are like, well, I'm just gonna buy all the gear. It's like, okay, that's cool. But once you start training and you start developing the skill set, you realize, well, I don't need this because I have that and I can make do with this. Like, you know, I've been playing a lot lately with bipod shooting and the folks from Spartan precision. Oh my God. Rob gearing is a genius in that. Like he says, yeah, you're carrying a bipod. Well, what are your trekking sticks? And it's like, okay, well I'm carrying a lot of sticks on me. Well, why don't you just use the legs from the tripod? It's like genius, <laughs> you know, like try to find items that are multi-use right. items. Um, because now you can take this backpack, which everyone thinks like, Oh, I'm going to carry a, a 20 pound backpack and I'm going to be just fine. It's like, Rogers Rangers used to say, if you travel light, you freeze at night. And we found teaching the bug out uh, planning course and teaching the lockdown course that if you're trying to build like a legit bug out bag, it's going to be around 40 pounds to survive about 30 days. Okay. So that was our goal. Travel 30 miles, survive 30 days. So there was about a, there was a cool Mm -hmm. bag I kept seeing. Uh, It was from, I believe, I hope I'm not screwing the name of Ari factor. Um, and that bag was pretty cool, but it was basically a duffel bag that then had back, like back straps that you could put, you know, you could mount it on your back. But when you're talking about these packs, like would an actual, like, like a backpacking pack that actually has like a hip belt and, or waist belt and actually has like some structure to it. Is that really what you're talking about here? Yeah. Because there's a threshold for every type of pack that we carry. Like, Mm -hmm. Get some guys want to carry fanning packs. It's like, okay, well, how much weight can you put in there <laughs> with it not hurting? Right. And then what if you do the cool like European sling it over the shoulder, right? Well, there's only so much weight you can carry over one shoulder. And if you look at anyone that travels great distances, they're not using one shoulder. They're two strapping it. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that, like what is the capability we're trying to get? We're trying to travel long distances with a heavy pack. Right. Who does that the best? Backpackers. Yep. Now look at who's doing that really well. And it's the backpack hunters. Mm -hmm. So I use Kafaru bags. Um, Kafaru is a great American company. Uh, They're out of Wyoming and all their packs are geared for hunters. And you guys can decide if you're hunting two-legged or four-legged things. Mm -hmm. And they sell a lot of packs to the military. Mm -hmm. So I'll say that a good, like true backpack that has an internal frame that is meant for carrying 
you know, quartered out animals. Yeah, that's going to carry a, a load very nicely uh, into the woods and it, keep it streamlined. Um, I would rather have a tall pack than a wide pack. So I don't want something that is going to make me wider to make it harder for me to go through uh, the bushes. I'd rather have something that's taller, like my head height, that will slip easier. As you were talking about this with me over text uh, last night, I, you know, I did a little backpacking trip one spring break and uh, I never really got too into it, but I did for a little bit. And um, I have a pack that's just collecting dust. And I'm like, that thing would be perfect. Like, like It's like an Osprey, like it's a pretty decent pack. And I was like, man, I could definitely do a Minuteman bag pretty quick, I think. So what do I want to fill this thing up with? Okay. So let's, let's start with the rules of three, right? Like we need to be able to keep blood in the body. And the, one of the first things that should be in your, your kit is definitely, um, definitely a med kit. Um, so with that med kit, you need to address, you know, uh, wounds that are going to take place to the arms. So those arms and legs, tourniquets, yep. your junctures, which is going to be wound packing, wound packing, and then your chest, which is going to be chest seals. Chest seals. Yep. Um, and then from there, it's like, okay, what other type of injuries are very common? Burns, eye injuries. And then, you know, you have a whole host of other things, like four basic meds that you should always have. You should have something for diarrhea. You should always have something for fever, something for allergies. You should always have some type of antibiotic if you can get one over the counter or get one from your doctor, like a broad spectrum one, like a doxycycline. So you start carrying these basic meds on you and it's like, okay, I'm squared away. Then it's like, all right, well, what about your water? You look at the guys that served in World War II, they would carry a K-bar on one side with a canteen and a 45. And they always had their canteen with them. And my late mentor always said, build your survival kit around your canteen because you need water more than anything else. So you should have some type of metal water bottle or an Alexan bottle with a uh, metal cup, uh, whether that's titanium or it's stainless steel, it's up to you. But titanium, it's going to be a little bit costlier, but it's going to be lighter. So you start saying, okay, I got med kit, I got water. What else? Well, it's going to get dark. Um, you should have flashlights, right? Headlamp, you should have uh, at least one surefire. Um, and you should know what the capability of that light is. How far can you travel with your eyes at night so you don't have to travel with your feet? Um, other things, navigation, comms, like you should know where you're going, how you're getting there. You should have uh, the ability to communicate and whether you decide to do like Garmin inReach and still text message people, or you want to go like the UV five R like the bow thing, the fang gang route. So can I ask you, can I ask a question about that? Cause, cause comms is something I am not very familiar with. And I know like a lot of guys, you know, people kind of go the, the ham radio route, but there's a lot to yep. that. That's like a, that's like an, I'm talking about an investment in time. There's a big investment in time there. What is the bow fang? What is that exactly? Like, like when we were talking about communications, what are some alternatives to a ham radio and getting a license? Okay. So you can listen all you want with any of those Baofeng radios. And a lot of people do. So you can own a radio that is meant for the amateur radio guys, right? The, the, um, you know, the guys that are getting their ham license. Mm -hmm. If, as long as you do not transmit on any restricted bands, you can listen all you want. And some people just do that. They just monitor. Um, and they are, they're going to pay attention to like, all right, let's find uh, the local repeaters and let's see if we can hear any news that's coming out of a, a crisis area. They don't want to be seen. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm poking fun at guys that are carrying all this extra ammo, it's like, 
do you really want to engage or do you want to evade? Right. You know, and let's be realistic here. You know, like at the end of the day, there's going to be some type of return to normalcy. Every crisis we've had have, has returned to normal uh, at some point, you know, and if you think about it, like, would you rather evade or would you rather engage? So I would rather listen, monitor, mind my own business, kind of like we were talking about with the government earlier, you know, like keep your hands off me. I'm doing my own thing. Like, let me take care of me, but I'm going to pay attention to what's happening and know when I can go back. Um, So you don't need a license to listen. And there are some frequencies that you are allowed to transmit on that are general purpose family frequencies, very similar to the old school Motorola talkabouts. Yep. Um, But you just got to be careful that you're not transmitting over the frequencies that are restricted to the licensed operators that are out there. And so if you have one of those Baofangs and you're just monitoring and listening and then something happens and you need to, let's say you got lost or you get, you're injured and you need help, there's a, there's a frequency that you can transmit out on. That's like usually like a family channel, something like that. Uh, do those radios have a good reach? Like they can reach out pretty far. So it all depends on the terrain. It all depends on the, the, uh, antenna, you know, this, the factory antennas, the little nubbies, you know, they're, they're not that great. I mean, they will work if you have a clear line of sight, but you can buy some pretty impressive whip antennas that will increase the range. Now, if your cell phone does not have service and you have a broken down UV 5R radio, a Baofeng radio, and what I mean by broken down is you remove the battery, you disassemble the antenna, you carry it that way. So there's no chance of it accidentally transmitting or battery turning on in your pack. Let's say you need to, worst case scenario, send out a a message, right? I always keep one in the glove compartment of my car um, because it's like, there's just an extra measure of getting out there. There are people that monitor all those channels. And if there's someone that's screaming bloody murder, um, then believe me, they'll use a directional, um, uh, antenna and they'll find where that source is coming from. They'll find you. Um, so yeah, you can, you can definitely keep one as a, as a safety measure. And if you really get into it, you'll start laughing when you find people transmitting that, you know, either have no business on there or what they're transmitting. You start picking up the lingo. Um, and yeah, it is a huge investment of time. Um, but if you are looking to get licensed, then you buy the book, you study all the questions. And then when it comes time to actually take the test, you just remember the answers to each of the questions. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that's cool. what I would say that the, the Baofeng is a huge investment, but it's a, it's a capability. It allows you to communicate where others can't. Right. So other things that you could put in that pack, uh, we talked about water, we talked about fire, I'm sorry, fire is another and fire shelter. Um, I spent a lot of nights as a survival instructor sleeping under a poncho hooch, And this is where people need to figure out like just how comfortable do they need to be? A good sleeping bag is going to give you warmth, but a good shelter is always going to have components of what you can sleep inside of over and under. So IOU, a good poncho, a good sleeping bag, and a good sleeping pad. Overall, that doesn't take up a lot of weight and space. And you got to think about it. Like if you only have 40 pounds, what percentage of that 40 pounds are you going to dedicate to sleeping? Because you still have to factor in food, you still have to factor in, you know, your security items. You have still have to factor in other tools that you might want. Like everyone wants to carry the biggest, baddest knife. It's like that knife is going to start getting heavy. Yeah. And even though I'm a fan of, of big blades, I know that I can get by with a four inch knife. I can do a lot with a four inch knife. 
and a folding saw. Do you recommend a, uh, a down sleeping bag or do you recommend synthetic? Um, I'm a big fan of synthetic, but lately like down has been like since like incredibly improved over the years there, there, there's a new process called down tech or a new product called down tech where down when it gets wet, it, it actually doesn't get wet. It's hydrophobic. Um, so down bags now are getting to be about the size of a, uh, like a, like a monster energy drink. And that's like a 40 degree bag, you know, cause down is super compressible. And now when it's treated with down tech, it doesn't act like old school down did. Um, but I still like a synthetic bag, um, just because a primal off bag or a climate shield bag, um, you know, these, these are synthetics that are so close to down and they're continuous filament. So they don't have any cold spots in the mm. bag. Okay. Um, so that's, that's my preference. Everything you're talking about so far. So we talked about fire, we talked about water, we talked about shelter, um, communications, meds. So what about, is there any provisions for rifles or is that not in your, your plan at all? So no, no, it's, it's definitely in my plan. And like I said, I would rather carry a broken down right? I'd separate the upper and the lower yep. off an AR-15 and stuff it in my bag. Everything I've and, read and everything I've looked at you said the exact same thing. Yeah. So you carry that with you. And, you know, what's the old expression? You use your pistols, fight your way to your rifle. Right. You know, when, when I was a guest instructor at Bill Rapier's class for the Advanced Modern Minuteman, we were shooting with our backpacks on and we were shooting with trekking poles. And it was like, you want to talk about something that will mess with your draw stroke, how do you carry your pistol with a backpack that has a hip belt? You know, do you pre-stage your hip belt? If you expect something where you're saying, you know what, we're passing people, I'm going to unclip my hip belt. I'm going to unclip my, my sternum strap. You know, do you use your poles to give you standoff in case someone charges at you just to get your pistol out to shoot from retention? Like there's a lot of what ifs, but the cool thing is, is that when you start planning out this bag and you start thinking like, all right, I've got this bag, I've got it shouldered. I've got my boots on all clipped up. All right. Someone's going to come after me. How quickly can I get to my gear? Because everything's a trade-off and there are some great companies out there like black point tactical makes a, a chest rig that you can carry your pistol up on your chest, like on your sternum. Mm-hmm. And you can easily get it off your belt where your hip belt is. And it weighs nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you've got your pistol already at that high compressed point. You just got to press out and shoot. Um, so yeah, the, the rifle is definitely a consideration. And then it becomes, well, how much ammo do you really need? So if you carry a mag and a spare mag, that's 60 rounds. That's a lot. And if you have quality ammo, how many rounds are you planning on shooting? And what right. are you shooting at that requires 60 rounds? Like, yeah, I agree. Like two, two 30 round mags is a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's more than, I mean, obviously if you're going, you know, if you're in the military and you're going to war, it's a different story. But for the average person, like that's a lot of threat. <laughs> Yeah. And and think about it this way. And this is something that drives me crazy as a training guy, as like a professional training junkie, who's, who's had an opportunity to train with some really cool dudes. There are some people that are trying to apply tactics that work for the big military or very elite groups where you have a team and you have support and you have, you know, every, every resource at your disposal, they're trying to teach these tactics to people that will be loan operators, essentially. Like you have maybe a pistol and a spare mag and a flashlight, or you have just your rifle, um, you know, but they're teaching these tactics like that would work 
if they had a fire team or if they had, you know, an A-10 warthog or gunships, you know, like, like there are these tactics that just don't apply to the civilian. So it's like, find the tactics that are going to work for you and really ask those honest questions that, listen, they might not be as cool of responses, but they're honest responses. And that will set you up for success rather than just doing a whole bunch of hero worship where a guy's like, oh, you're going to need this, this, this. It's like average dude doesn't have the money for that. Right. You know, but they can definitely take their, their Glock 19 and a box of 50 rounds and they can practice some, you know, up close shooting, but then push it back to 25, maybe push it back to 50 with a red dot and do some marksmanship. Like if you only had 50 rounds to train, how are you spending those 50 rounds? Are you just going to turn money into noise? Or are you going to say, I'm going to spend 10 rounds and do strict bullseyes at 25 yards. Then I'll do 10 rounds and do, you know, reloading drills. Like w- how do you spend those 50 rounds? How do you, how do you train? Cause make sure you're training for reality. Right. Um, so, okay. So we've gotten through the kind of survival stuff. Now we've gone on to rifles and ammunition. What's next? So after you get into to rifles and ammunition, and we've talked about the survival gear, you know, you've got to talk about sustenance because again, what we're looking to do is we're looking to cover ground and the way that you're covering ground is you're burning calories and you got to replenish those. So good sustenance can be high calorie food bars, um, range meal bars. They're how many calories is it? I think it's 800 calories per bar. It's, it's or seven or 800 calories per bar. And they're about the size of a deck of playing cards. Hmm. So that it can keep you going until you have like your one meal. Um, now that one meal can be like mountain house food, or it can be like backpackers pantry or, you know, any of these, you know, peak refuel, like just boil water and pour it in a bag type of thing, which, which makes you say then like, okay, what's the most efficient way of, of boiling water, a stove. Now, if you plan on building a fire, Well, campfires have signature, right? Light signature, uh, smell, right? Scent. Camp stove, minimal light and no scent whatsoever. Um, And they're tiny. You can buy buy the little rockets that are like so small. And, you know, you talked about the titanium cup. You just throw that thing onto there and and you have hot water. It's, It's instant. Yeah. Yeah. So like it really starts coming down to like, okay, is this a smart thing to throw in the bag? Will I use it? And then- The beauty of all of this, the Minuteman pack, is that you can go out there. If you do carry everything discreetly, go out on a hiking trail and test it, right? Pressure test your gear and see, can I carry this comfortably? And then if you can, go camping with it. And it's like, okay, go to a a state campground or or I'm sorry, go to a campground that allows you you know, to, to carry certain things. I can't tell people. To, to I was just going to say quick little disclaimer, make sure that if you're carrying a firearm, it is an illegal place to carry it. Yes. Let, let's make sure we see that. Um, you know, go to places where you can camp legally and see if you have what you need to spend 72 hours there. And if you can do 24 hours, then you can do 72. If you can do 72, you can do a week. Maybe your time doesn't allow, but see what you wished you packed and see what you didn't use and see what was carried efficiently and what needs better placement in the pack and whatnot. Do you bring um, water, so pu- water purification with you? So that's, that's the other thing. Like what makes the most sense? Do you want to carry Aquamira tablets? Do you want to carry polar pure? Do you want to carry um, a grail water filter? Like I'm, I'm a believer in the grail water filter because it works like a French press and I have water instantly. So I can drink water within 60 seconds. I have a, 12 to 18 ounces ready to go. 
And then I can do another one in 60 seconds and I can boogie as opposed to waiting around or carrying a water bottle that's not ready to drink for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, even though the grails are expensive, they work and they will take out everything. They'll take out um, heavy metals. They'll take out, um, you know, any type of viruses. They'll take out um, anything biological. Like it's, it's very impressive what the grail filters can do. So yeah, water, food, um, all of these things make sense. And then what you also might want to think about is sanitation, right? We are so quick to throw, um, you know, spare mags in there and extra food and whatnot. It's like, well, you got to go to the bathroom. So a package of wet ones, some hand sanitizer, right? Like that stuff goes a long way. Um, but I mean, after that, it really becomes very personalized, like extra clothing, work gloves, um, you know, uh, we, we, we used to refer to it as a sleep suit. Sleep suit would be like a dry pair of socks, a beanie, um, and a dry pair of long underwear, top and bottom, because you're sleeping in your sleeping bag almost naked with the exception of those clothes on. Right. Like you take off all your other clothes and you don't wear clothes in a sleeping bag. You try to go butt naked. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everything after that is just personal preference. Right, right. This concept is really, is this in your mind, things have gone wrong and you need to just sort of get from A to B? That's sort of the the point of this concept? Yeah, so in SIOC, we always say your true friends, your true tribe are the people that would be there if your house burnt down at two in the morning with a cup of coffee and a jacket telling you it's going to be okay, right? Like those are the people that you're grabbing your Minuteman pack and you're like, I'll be there. You know, what's the scene from that that movie, uh, uh, The Town, right? Ben Affleck breaks into yeah. the, the room and he's like, I need you to come with me. You can never ask anyone about this. Like yeah, who's driving? Jeremy Renner just goes, your car, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Who's driving, right? Like that's what that pack is for. It's like, if your buddy says, I need you, you grab it and you go. And guess what? You have pretty much everything that you need in there. And maybe you kind of shift it along the way over the years, but you should be supremely confident because it gets back to that mindset. It's like, if your buddy needed help, do you think you could help them? And then how do you define that help? And what would your friend be calling you for that, you know, would make you grab that path? And now do you have a word like a duress word built in where maybe your buddy, you know, instead of calling Jerry, Jerry, I say, Hey, Gerald. And Jerry knows, Oh crap. He said, Gerald. Right. You know, like something's not right there. So, you know what I mean? Like, do you keep a pack like this packed up, ready to go? It's, it's just, you know, it's in the basement or it's in your truck or it's, it's always ready to go. Is that bro? I, I got mine right here at my desk. (laughs) Okay. Right by my computer. So the answer is yes. Like it's, it's, always loaded. And so rifle is in there already, or you keep that separate and then put that in as you need. So I just moved to this location. Um, and I've got a bunch of my guns still locked up in my old place. I have my pistol and I've got my hunting rifle here next to it. Cause I was hunting this morning. Gotcha. Um, so 300 wind mag is pretty compelling, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, it's definitely not going to break down inside this bag, yeah, but yeah. I always, tra- I always travel with this bag no matter what. Gotcha. It's a very interesting concept for sure. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for tonight. I wanted to just say, uh, Kevin, I thank you. You know, thank you for coming on. Thank you for joining uh, joining me on the show and uh, discussing survival skills, a, a topic that 
we admittedly don't get to dedicate enough time to, but I feel it's pretty important. And I think it kind of goes hand in hand with all of the gun talk that we do on this show. So uh, it's really great to see how passionate you are about your craft. Uh, when you see someone that enjoys what they do and really cares about it, uh, that's a great thing. And more importantly, the fact that you want to share it with others, that you you want to educate others uh, into this craft and, and show people more and more about what it is that you do and why it's important. So I think that's really cool. And I really look forward to implementing some of the ideas that we discussed on the the Minuteman bags. So thank you so much for everything. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. To everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links to the show notes in all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, and Spotify so we can keep the conversation going.